All right, appreciate that singing. Boy, I was, we were singing that song, A New Name Written Down in Glory. And uh, uh, does anybody know, I'm, the pop quiz, ready? Uh, you didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, right? Uh, does anybody know where it says that your name will be written down in glory? Anybody? I confess that I didn't know either, okay? But I knew I was going to. Well, I don't, may, it may say it there. Um, but I do know this. That's not the one I was looking for. I'll say it that way. Anyone know another one? Not Revelation. It's not the one that I know of. Is it 217? Says it there? All right. Revelation 217. Thank you. That's another one I didn't know about. Um, I'll be honest. I, I know because it was written in the top of the hymn book. Oh, no, put your hymn books back. Stop looking. All right. Uh, it's Luke 1020 as well. Jesus told his disciples. And I opened that passage up and I read it. And it said, marvel not that you can uh, do this or that, but marvel that your names are written down in heaven. And uh, or be glad, rejoice, he said, rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. And uh, and and I thought, you know, that is a good that is a good thought. That is a good song. Just think about the fact that right now your name is written down in heaven. You know, a lot of people wait for their name to be written on a sign, a marquee. And they're like, man, I can't wait for my name to be written in this place where everyone's going to see it and know that I'm somebody and all this. Man, if you're saved and if you're born again, your name is written down in heaven. I cannot think of a better place for your name to be written down. Uh, what a blessed thought that your name is written down. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad that if you're saved, if you're born again, that your name is written there. And if you're not, listen, you can get saved tonight and your name will be written down. And that's worth rejoicing over and that's worth singing about. And so I love those songs that we sing. The good old hymns are so much good in them. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 8. I'm not preaching on your name written down tonight. I, uh, but boy, what a blessed thought. What an encouraging thought, really, to know that. To know the fact that, A, Jesus knows your name, and then, B, that it's written down in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I also have to make this announcement really quick because I, I really set myself up for a fail here in this area, uh, and that is I made a big to-do about my leaf blower. Um, and, uh, and so now people are asking me, and the answer is no, I have not get it, got it running. I, I feel I may have lost that battle, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm just being sincere. I, I actually went out and bought another leaf blower electric one, and uh, I, I have tried, and I, I just... I even talked to somebody else who, who does a lot of work on those things, and, and he's like, you do this, you did this? And I said, yep, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. And he says, man, you're in a pickle. I said, I know I am. And, uh, and then I made a big old to-do about it, so then I had to tell you that, no, it's not running, okay? So uh, some have asked me, and, and, uh, and I really had hoped, and I'm, I have it, it's in my garage, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try but, uh, but it's not on my priority list now. It's kind of fallen to the side, and, and it's one of those projects that I'll get to when I get to, all right? So I wanted to let everyone know about that since I brought that up. Uh, but that has absolutely nothing to do with the message. Um, Romans chapter number 8, as you know, we've been covering the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 7, he really talks about our battle with our flesh, and Romans chapter 8, he introduces really, uh, it, Romans chapter 8 covers in great detail that of the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, is with us and that the Holy Spirit helps us. And so we left off, and let's pick it up, and uh, as we, we talked about the inheritance, and we talked about, of course, that battle with the flesh, and then waiting for our flesh to be uh, 
completely uh, changed when we get to heaven, that redemption day, when we arrive in heaven, and that our, our well, really when Jesus comes back, that, uh, that our, our corruption must put on incorruption, and our mortal must put on immortality. What a day that'll be. And we left off there waiting for that. And so verse 26, we're just going to cover a few verses tonight. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, of course, a very well-known verse. And we know that all things work together for good that, to them that love God, to them who are called according to to his purpose. And let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you again for, uh, God, again, for the privilege that we have to be in your house, to meet around your word, to gather, uh, Father, around the truths of your word. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. And God, I pray that you would help us as we uh, look at the, uh, this passage, help us to understand, help us to grow, help us to be encouraged, Father. And God will certainly thank you for that. And God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at verse number 26, uh, we can notice right off the top uh, of the verse, it says, uh, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And so the first thing that we notice in that verse is that, hey, we have infirmities. Uh, that is a problem. And what are some of the infirmities that we have in our flesh? Now, we're not talking about physical sickness, obviously, with infirmities that are going around and the multitude of sicknesses that we've been plagued with for the past year and a half of the pandemic and all of that. Uh, we could certainly say, well, those are some infirmities. And certainly those are physical ailments and physical infirmities. But uh, I think some of the infirmities that we have are more on a spiritual level. And, and what I think he's dealing with in this passage would go all the way back, really, to Romans chapter 7. And that is the infirmity. One of the infirmities is the infirmity of failure. And the fact that when we fail and when we sin in our life, uh, that, listen, it separates us from God. We know that. Uh, now, we don't lose our salvation. We are saved, and I've said that multiple times, but I want to make sure that that's clear. Uh, but, but sometimes when we fail in our life, it certainly drives a wedge between us and God. And I've used this illustration, and I've mentioned this before, uh, but uh, I'll say it again. Uh, sometimes, have you ever, uh, something has happened, or maybe somebody expected you to do something, and you didn't do what they expected it to, and, and for whatever reason, it kind of drove a wedge between you and that person. And then for whatever reason, you're like, man, I, I want to avoid that person. Because I know they're upset with me. Because I know that I did something that they're not going to agree with. And, and so, you know, you, you, you do the whole dance thing. You know, if they move up there, you kind of move around here. 
And if they go back that way, then you circle back around this way and you're doing your best to stay away from that person because you know there is something that is between you two. And it's the same thing is true with God. When we have sin in our life, it drives a wedge between us and God. And I would remind you that God is never wrong. So it's not God that sins. It's not God that messes up. And it's not God even that avoids us. But it is us oftentimes that avoids God. And we find too that uh, because of that wedge, uh, when we do go to God, he says, now wait a minute, we have so there's something we got to handle right here first. And we know that. And so it kind of keeps us apart. The Bible says in Isaiah 59.1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And we find, listen, our sins will keep us as an infirmity. It will hold us back from God. And oftentimes, uh, listen, it's pride uh, that's going to keep us from asking God and saying, well, listen, I, you know, I was wrong. Boy, the, why, are those, why are those words so hard to say? Uh, sometimes my wife and I will be talking, and, and, and on rare occasion, it actually, says, it actually happens that I'm right. I know most of the time I'm not, all right? If you're a man, you know that too. And, and on rare occasion, my wife will say, you're right. I say, what? <laughs> she doesn't repeat it because she knows. And, uh, and, 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 and why is it so hard for us to say, well, it's, I'm wrong. I did it wrong. Well, I was, I was wrong on that point. And so many times, uh, it is our own pride. And that's where the Spirit says, hey, listen, you need to get this right. You need to deal with this. You need to take care of this issue in your life. This is something that has to be dealt with. And you need to go to God, and you need to ask for forgiveness, and you need to get this thing cleared up so that you can continue in your relationship with God. It's the infirmity of failure that will hold us back in our life. And oftentimes, that pride just kind of uh, compiles that issue makes it harder that we won't deal with those things. And, uh, and listen, we need to be sure uh, that we go to God in prayer. I've often said, and I'll, I'll say it, I'll repeat it again, uh, that we need to keep short accounts with God. As we mess up, hey, get it right. And just say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me. Strengthen me. And listen, that's what the Spirit will do. He will help us. He will strengthen us in our life. He will help us to overcome those things. And, uh, and we have the, the infirmity of failure. We have the infirmity of flesh. And of course, we see that in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 19. He's, Paul says this. He says, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. And listen, sometimes our flesh just gets in the way of our spirit. You, ever, you remember the verse, I like the verse, uh, matter of fact, I quote it often to myself, uh, that says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And sometimes, man, we desire to do stuff and we desire to do more and we desire to, to help more or do more things, but sometimes we are just physically limited by our flesh. And so we need to be aware of that. 
And listen, the Spirit will help with our infirmity of failure. The, the Spirit will help with our infirmity of our flesh that we deal with on a daily basis that longs for wickedness, that longs to do wrong, that longs to go against the Word of God and to rebel and be prideful and be, uh, be our own person and carve our own path. And, and, and God says, no, listen, this is, this is the path that I want you to take. I've got the Word of God that shines and shows you the path. And the Holy Spirit will help us to live right and to do right and overcome the infirmities of our flesh. And then the infirmity of faulty asking. Sometimes he says here in our verse, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And so one of the infirmities, obviously, is in asking. And sometimes it's even in not asking. Um, you know, when, if you've ever had, if you've had children and you've raised children, you know this to be true. Uh, you know, when your children are little, uh, man, they, they reach up and they grab your hand and they want to hold your hand. And, and, and man, as a father, man, I love to hold my kids' hands. I just, you know, I was... I was like, man, that's my kid. I'm helping them, you know, and I'm walking and, and they might trip and I kind of, you know, jerk them up and keep them from falling down and skinning their knee and I'm keeping them from going out in the road or from dangers. I'm protecting them and, and that's my child. So holding their hand is kind of like, man, I, I, I'm, you know, that's good. And, and then they hit an age and I, it's different for every kid and, and, and you reach down to grab their hand and they're like, no, man, I'm big. I, I can do this. And so you're like, Okay. And as a father, your heart kind of sinks. You're kind of sad. You're like, well, man, my kid's growing up. And then all of a sudden, what happens? They trip and they stumble and they skin their knee. I tell you what, man, they get up and it's all bloody and they're crying. And, and, and after that, they'll hold your hand for a little bit longer, you know. And we get to that point in our Christian life where we say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm too big. I don't need to hold God's hand. Uh, that's, man, that's child's play. I, I don't really need to do that. Listen, we need to hold on to God's hand. We need that because uh, we have that, that arrogant thought of, hey, we don't need to ask God for help. We don't need to ask God. And the Bible says in James 4, 2, ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and ye desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. And how many times in our life is it that we desire something and we want something and we'll, we'll work for it and we'll strive for it and we'll try to obtain it of our own strength, but we won't bother going to God and saying, God, will you help me with this? Because that requires humbling ourselves. That requires saying, God, uh, I'm, I'm not able to do this in and of my own strength. And oftentimes we want to feel that we are able, but the fact remains that God knows best for us. And sometimes we'll ask, we would just won't ask for stuff and we won't receive just simply because we don't ask. And then he goes on in verse number three and he says, Ye ask and ye receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it. Upon your lust. Sometimes we ask for things that we should not. And we're talking about the infirmity of faulty asking and not knowing what to ask. And sometimes, uh, listen, we'll ask for stuff that we shouldn't ask for. Um, you know, if your kids ever come to you and they're 14, they say, hey, dad, I need the car keys. What do you need the car keys for? You don't need the car keys. Oh, I just got to get in the trunk. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. 
But, but you know, I need, I need the car keys. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go get pizza. No, you're not. Not my car. You're not old enough to drive. I don't think so. You know, they, they would ask for stuff that, that maybe they should not receive. But they, they want to do those things and they want to be able to have those things. And yet it's not fit for them and it's not time for them. And sometimes in our life, we'll ask for things that God says, Listen, now is not the time to be asking for that. Now is not the right time to have that. And it's not something that we ought to ask for. And the Bible here clearly spells it out for us that the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity and we so that we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered so sometimes God in our faulty prayers will help us to ask for what is right and sometimes he will just simply take over for us hey listen there's been times there's been many times when I simply do not know how to pray for something. You say, what do you mean? Well, listen, if somebody comes to you and says, so-and-so is in the hospital and they're not doing very well, and they're a Christian, how do you pray? Lord, take them home or Lord, raise them up. And sometimes I don't know the answer to that. Sometimes you don't know the answer to that. And sometimes it's difficult. And you say, God, I don't, I don't even know how to pray for this person. I don't know what is best in this situation. Lord, I'm just asking for your will to be completed, whatever that is, and whatever you see fit, and however you see best to deal with this situation. God, I'm asking you to take control and that the Spirit would give us, uh, not give us, but rather the Spirit would make that intercession for us and say, God, God, though I don't know the right words, and though I don't know how to pray for this situation, you do know. And the spirit inside of us will communicate to God what is best and what needs to take place and how that this can be solved. Not just uh, in those situations, but sometimes, listen, there's life situations that pop up. Maybe it's a job change and, and a job change comes up and you say, uh, Lord, what, what do I do? I mean, uh, it's a good opportunity, but maybe there's, there's things that I don't know. And you say, God, help me, give me, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, or maybe I should just be content where I'm at, or maybe I should move on, I don't know. And, and you ask God, and, and listen, uh, God, and through the Spirit, the Spirit helps to make intercession for times and places in our life that we don't understand and we don't know how to pray what's best for our life. That the Spirit will help us with that. And listen, I've been there. There's been times in my life that I don't know the best thing and I don't know what to ask, uh, but the Lord does know. And those are some of the infirmities that we deal with. We deal with our failing, we deal with our failings, we deal with our flesh, we deal with our faulty prayers and not knowing how to even pray and not knowing how to ask. And we see our infirmities. But praise the Lord in verse number 27, we see the intercessions of the Holy Spirit. Look there in verse number 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What is intercession? Intercession is the act of interceding or meditation, interposition between parties at variance. In other words, we might not know, but listen, God knows. 
And that Holy Spirit will act as a go-between between us and God and help us and lead us. And listen, we need to settle this fact in verse 27 that we can see very clearly that God knows what is best. Sometimes we don't like God's will, to be honest with you. Sometimes we know what God's will is. Sometimes uh, He's made it very clear and very evident, but we simply do not like what God has planned. And if you're flesh and if you're blood like I am, and if you're human, sometimes that comes up in our life. But we need to settle it and we need to understand that God does know what is best. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, and be not conformed to this world. Listen, sometimes that's hard to do. I mean, this world uh, definitely has a way of thinking and a mindset that they're going. And when you go against the grain, you know what? You're, you're, you're swimming upstream. You're an odd duck. You're peculiar. You're somebody who's different. And it says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometimes we don't like the will of God. You think of uh, one of the best illustrations that comes to mind is Jonah. What did God say? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He went the other way. He said, man, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And we need to understand that God does know what is best for our life. And it's not always easy to accept, but it's right to understand and it's right to accept. How about Balaam? Go with me to Numbers chapter number 22. Save your spot here in Romans chapter 8. We'll be back here. But Numbers chapter 22. And in Numbers chapter 22, we find Balaam. And Numbers chapter 22 and verse 5. And in Numbers, we have... Uh, We have some of the enemies of Israel really coming and, and uh, uh, they're the Moabites and they're coming and they want to curse the Israelites. Well, obviously you know what God has said about those who curse the Israelites. Uh, he said, hey, listen, if you curse the Israelites, I'll curse you. If you bless the Israelites, then I'll bless you. And I, that's God's promise. And I think that's still true today. Uh, but, but we find that these people, the Moabites, come and the Midianites and, and they come to uh, Balaam and they say, hey, listen, we want you to curse and they don't say who it is. They say, uh, this nation that came up out of Egypt. Well, if you put two and two together, Israel did come up out of Egypt. They were in slavery and they got loose, okay? They got out. And so you'll find out, well, that's the nation of Israel. Look with me at verse number five. The Bible says, He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come up out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, these, this people, for they are too mighty for me, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land, for I want that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. 
And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. Now Balaam is the prophet, Balak is the leader from the other uh, the, the enemies of Israel. Verse number 8. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? In other words, God said, Hey, what's going on? You've brought the Moabites into my camp, and they're talking with you. What is going on? Verse number 10. And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which cover the, covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And, ba and God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Verse number 13, And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. In other words, Balaam said, Listen, I'm not going with you. It is not God's will that I should go with you. He said that God refused. He was upset even that you were here. And, uh, and there's no way on earth that I'm going with you. He says, no. In verse number 14, and he continues. And the prince of Moab rose up and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. In other words, they said, man, let's up it a little bit. Okay, before we send some princes, hey, now let's send some nicer dress, some higher placed people, and some more, uh, more important ambassadors over to talk with Balaam. And so he's sending some nicer people. In verse 16, And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee, from coming unto me. And then he gets, and then now he's really laying it on the table. Verse number 17. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. In other words, he's saying, listen, I can't, I can't go against the word of God. You give me all the house and all the gold that you have in your house and you bring all these people and you elevate me to great position. I cannot go with you, he just said. Now watch this as it turns. Verse number 20. No, verse, where did I leave off there? Verse 18. Balaam answered and said to the servants, yeah, verse number 19. Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also for this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Now, why on earth he's even going back to God? He knew the first time God said no. It was definitive. There was no two ways about it. It was clear. Verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men uh, come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt, that shalt thou do. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. We're going to go on, but let's stop there for a moment. What I think happened, and this is just my opinion, is that Balaam twisted God's will. And he said, well, I'm going to go. God already has told him very clearly, don't go. 
There's no reason to go. The people that you're going to curse are the Israelites, and that is not going to take place. Now go on with me in just two more verses, and we'll see why. And verse number 21, And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the prince, princes of Moab. Verse 22, we find out why it wasn't God's will. We find out, rather, in fact, that it wasn't God's will. And God's anger was kindled because he went. We find out very clearly that, hey, it was not God's will for him to go. What happened in verse number 20? What, what's it talking about? Uh, what I believe took place was he's saying, listen, man, uh, they're going to pay me a lot of money. Man, I, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get promotion and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. And, and all of the things that were being offered eventually swayed him. And he said, OK, OK, you know, God's given me leeway that I can go. But I can only say what God wants me to say. But we find in verse 22, he said, no, no, God was angry that he went. In other words, he stepped outside of God's will when he decided to go. What happened in, in Balaam's life is he did not settle the fact that God knew best in his life. Go back, to, uh, go back to Romans chapter, verse, uh, chapter 8 and verse number 27 that we were looking at. It says, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And listen, God has a will for us, and he wants us to do what is right. And we find in this case that Balaam uh, knew God's will, because he said it way back in the beginning. He said, listen, you know, I cannot go with you. God will not allow me to go. And then he changed it in verse 20. And he said, okay, God will let me go, but I, I can only say what God wants me to say. But then God got upset in verse 22 because he did go. What was God's will? Well, it was clear in the beginning. You should not go. You should not go up against those people. And sometimes we know what God's will is, but we don't want to accept what God's will is. And the Spirit knoweth what the will of God is. And He's saying, listen, I'm going to make intercession for you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to empower you so that you can do the, the God's will in your life. And we're kind of quick to point our finger at sometimes these Old Testament characters uh, of Jonah and Balaam and even Peter many times when he, would, uh, when he would step out and do stuff and say stuff. But listen, we need to understand this. They weren't promised the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are. We have a lot more responsibility than they had, if I can say it that way. In other words, that the Spirit would help us to overcome those infirmities of our flesh and the failures of our flesh and the faultiness of our asking and that He would make intercession because He knows what is best and He knows our heart and He knows the desires of our heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah uh, 17, 9, we know this verse, we've used it many times, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? But then the following verse goes, on and it says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And listen, God does desire, know the desires of our heart, and he knows the, the, the intentions of our heart. 
And God does desire uh, to give man his way as long as it doesn't contradict the will of God. God doesn't desire to keep you captive and to say, no, I don't want you to have any pleasure or any joy in your life. No, to the contrary, he said, I want you to have abundant life. I want you to have a joyful life. I want you to have a peaceful life. I want you to enjoy all of the things of life. And God knows what is best because he knows our heart. He knows what we desire. And we know that from the Word of God. And the Spirit is going to make intercession from our hearts and say, listen, uh, God, this is, uh, we need to help this guy in this area. And he knows our faults and he knows our failures and he's going to do his best to help us. But hey, it's up to us to submit to God. In the end, hey, we still have to submit to God. God has not created robots he did not make us so that we just fall in line and whatever he says we do, we have to submit to him and the Holy Spirit will make intercession for us. We can see our infirmities, we can see the intercession of the Holy Spirit and how he uh, does go to God and he does pray and he does uh, uh, strive to help us in our faults and in our failures. Look with me again in verse 28. We see the intercessions of the Holy Spirit in verse 27. We see our infirmities in verse 26. And I want you to see the intentions of God in verse 28. Look with me there. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. All things Work together for good. You say, man, you weren't, you weren't around me this week. A couple of the things that happened, they weren't good. Listen, sometimes bad things don't always seem good. I, I made mention, I don't remember when, of a cheesy story that I tell, and I'm going to tell it. Um, it, it's, it is a cheesy story, so you'll just have to bear with me. But, uh, but, but it helps us to illustrate sometimes a point. I'm trying to remember the, exactly how it goes. I didn't write this down in my notes, but I've told it so much that I know it. There was a, uh, there was a man who had horses. And, uh, and one, of the day, one day, his, one of his horses got out. And so uh, all of his neighbors came out and they said, Oh, you lost your, your horse. And, and they said, Oh, that's bad. That's bad. And he said, Well, how do you know it's bad? And they, they said, Well, because your horse is gone. That's bad. And so he said, well, I don't know that it's bad. And so his son went out looking for that son, his only son that he had. And, and, uh, and his son was gone several days looking for that horse. And, and finally, uh, his son found that horse and brought it back. And, and all his neighbors heard that his horse was back. And all his neighbors came and they said, oh, your horse is back. Oh, that's good. That's good. And he said, well, how do you know that that's good? And uh, it wasn't but a few days later, his son was out riding on that horse. And as he was riding it, he finally fell off and, and he broke his leg. And all of his neighbors came by and they said, oh, your son fell off the horse. He broke his leg. That's bad. And he said, well, how do you know that that is bad? Pretty soon uh, a war came about and, and, uh, and, and all the other sons had to go off to war. But his son couldn't go off to war. He had a broken leg. He wasn't able to go off to war. 
And the point is, and the idea and the realization is, sometimes what seems bad to us really isn't bad. Sometimes what seems good to us may not be good. And sometimes we need to realize and understand that many times in our life, there's so much more that we cannot see and we cannot understand. But understand this, that the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. And that's all things. Uh, a couple weeks ago, that song was saying uh, that the God in the mountain is the God in the valley. And listen, uh, sometimes you feel like you're in a valley and sometimes you think, well, what is going on? And not only that, but go with me real quick to Psalm chapter number 23. We often quote this psalm uh, in, in times of trials and times of difficulty. And, and really, it's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 23. And let's just read the first couple of verses here. We're not read the whole thing. Well, there's only six verses. Maybe we'll just read the whole thing. And it says there in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He light leadeth me beside the still waters. And you'd say, hey, to the green pastures and to the still waters, oh, that's good. And it should be good. We find there in verse number three, he says, He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But then in verse four, we find, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Sometimes the shepherd is going to lead us through a valley that may be dark and it may be filled with all kinds of predators who are coming after us and desire to destroy our life, but we have to understand that he's looking out for what is our best interest in life. Sometimes we don't always understand that. Sometimes when some difficult time comes along in our life, we're tempted to get mad at God and say, why has he got to bring me down in this valley? Why does he have to leave me right beside the predators? Why does these things have to take place in my life? And listen, sometimes we just simply don't understand all the questions, but what we do need to understand is God's intentions are always good in our life. That we do need to understand. And I can't always explain to you the bad things that take place. And I can't always explain to you uh, the difficult circumstances that you may walk through in your life. But I can promise you this, and I can assure you based on the Word of God, that what God desires for your life is good. And He has good intentions. I, I don't remember how the story went exactly, but it, it, it speaks of an author, uh, or a painter rather, and, uh, and how uh, he goes to paint, and, and when he did, uh, somebody else uh, bumped him or, or uh, dumped some ink on, on his canvas, and there was a big splotch right in the middle of it. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he said, that's okay. And he set it aside for a little bit, and after thinking, he brought it back out, and and, and, and they said, well, your painting's ruined. He said, oh, no, it's okay. And he took that splotch and he painted over it and he actually made a beautiful painting out of a splotch that was on a piece of canvas that was a mistake in all reality. And what sometimes what we deem as mistakes and sometimes even what we make 
as mistakes in our life, God is able to turn things around and He is able to use those things in our life to be a blessing and paint a beautiful portrait out of our life if we'll follow Him and if we'll trust Him. And we need to understand that His intentions are always good for our life, no matter what they are. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We need to understand that all things work together. Then we need to allow God to work in our life. Listen, it's not instantaneous. Your life that God is, that God is putting together, sometimes it, it takes time. Sometimes, like I said, you're not going to see the big picture. Sometimes you only see uh, one, one thing. My mom would do some cross stitch and uh, she would, sometimes you would, you would look at it and, and, and if you saw the back of it, you'd say, man, that is ugly. There's nothing but a bunch of threads hanging out and you can't make any sense of it. You can't make any pattern of it. But when you flip that thing over, you, oh, that's a different view and it's pretty. And you understand that there's a picture there. But that backside, sometimes that's all we see in our life. Sometimes we don't see the big picture. Sometimes we're not able to see it all. And we have got to allow God to work in our life so that He can make something good out of our life. Many times we keep interrupting God and we don't let God finish. And we don't allow God to continue forward in our life. And we need to understand that, hey, all things work together for good to them that love God. We have got to love God. And then we've got to be called according to His purpose. In other words, hey, we've got to be following God's will for our life. But I can, you can rest assured that God's intention with your life are always good. And it doesn't matter how it turns out because God is ultimately in control. We can see our infirmities of our flesh and of our failures and of our faulty prayers. And we can see God's... Um, we can see the intercession of the Spirit and how He uh, helps us in our difficulties and our struggles and intercedes for us and goes to God in prayer when we cannot. And we, we need to understand the intentions of God, that they're always good for our life. And listen, you can trust God. If there's one thing that you can get out of this is that you can trust God with your life. Just a few short verses that we're looking at tonight. And I hope that that's a help and a blessing to you as we stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you that you are God and that you know so much better in our life than what we are, than, than what we know. God, so many times we don't understand all the circumstances. We don't understand all the difficulties. And God, probably one of the hardest things is we don't really need to know what you're doing, but we need to trust you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to put our faith and our trust completely and wholly in you. And God, even through the difficult times and even though you may ask us like you did of your disciples to get in a boat that you know is heading right into a storm, 
and send us right out to sea that we know, God, that you'll be with us and ultimately in the end that, God, you're going to take care of us and that your intention is good in our life. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you on that level with our life. And God, that whatever you ask, though we can't see the other side, though we can't see the outcome, though we may not know or understand what the outcome is, that we would trust you and know that your intentions are good in our life. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person, each and every listener, and each and every Christian. And God, if there's one here that does not know you, I pray that you would touch their heart, show them their need for salvation. God will thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, God's spoken to your heart. The altar's open. You can certainly come and pray. You can pray right there in your seat, whatever the need. Maybe you're going through some difficult time. Maybe, maybe you've been tempted to say, is God really paying attention? God knows where you're at. He's not forgot about you.